At one point not too long ago, the Chinese ride-hailing app Didi, also known as the Uber of China, was the highest-valued startup in the world. At $56 billion, Didi's valuation was even higher than that of Uber, at least for a little while. But the ride-hailing behemoth has had a difficult period. Two riders were murdered using the Didi platform last year, and it prompted a widespread user backlash and government crackdown. This is Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. Today on the show, we're looking at Didi, its rapid rise, its latest move to diversify, and what all of that means for tech in China. My name is Yuan Yang, and I'm a Beijing correspondent at the Financial Times covering China's technology sector. So the tech startup scene has developed hugely in the last few years. There's a huge amount of funding going into the startup scene, a really rapid pace of unicorns, i.e. companies worth over a billion dollars, growing in China. And that's all been helped by a huge domestic market of consumers who are really willing and ready to experiment with new technology, from mobile payments to car hailing. I would say the car hailing industry in China took off in a similar timeline to Uber taking off um, in the US. So the major car hailing company here, now called Didi Chuxing, or just Didi for short, began around 2012 and grew very slowly because the traditional taxi industry, as in many places, also in China, had a big monopoly. And then around 2015, when Uber came, that was the huge kind of confrontation between the two giants. And there was a real cutthroat level of trying to win and acquire more, more customers. And I think that's roughly when it really exploded. Sounds like Didi's in the driver's seat here. So, Yuan, just to set the scene, in the time before Didi, what was it like to hail a regular taxi? Was it any different in Beijing than hailing a taxi in, say, London or New York might have been? If you're trying to get a taxi in in Beijing in 2013, you would stand by the side of the road, try to hail a car that came towards you. The taxi would hopefully slow down and ask you where you were going. And then the taxi driver often would just brush you off because they knew that there were many more customers than there were registered government taxis. And so the driver had a huge amount of power in rejecting and selecting customers. And this experience happened to me many times back then in Beijing. So the experience of actually trying to get somewhere using a taxi in in a major city in China was often extremely frustrating because taxi drivers would often reject you or try to select people to go exactly where they wanted to go rather than where you wanted to go. Sometimes taxi drivers would pile in, you know, multiple people into one taxi and, you know, stop for another customer, even if it had already gotten an original customer. And so then Didi comes into the picture. What was the the sort of the promise or the pitch to investors? So the promise of Didi is not just the promise of saying you can get taxis via this app online rather than, you know, on on the street, but also saying we're going to try and center the customer in this experience and give the customer some power over selection as opposed to the driver who traditionally had all the power. Right. And this is this is obviously something that did attract investor interest. Uh, tell us about some of the biggest inv- investors in Didi. Yeah, so a lot of investment m- m- amounts are not disclosed, um, unfortunately, in China. But the biggest investors 
And this is very unusual is that both Tencent, the social media and gaming giant, and also Alibaba, who is Tencent's kind of major rival in e-commerce. So those two companies are the two biggest tech companies and have been for a long time. They have more than 100 stakeholders here, including some very powerful ones like mm. Alibaba, Tencent. So both those companies invested in Didi, whereas usually they would compete for investments, i.e. one would invest and the other one would back away. And I think that's a reflection of how big Didi is and how important Didi is as a company. Exactly. So Didi's raising about five to six billion dollars. They're close to closing the fund. The main investors will include SoftBank, Silver Lake. SoftBank has also invested in Didi. And SoftBank has also invested in a bunch of other ride-hailing companies like Grab in Singapore, Ola in India, and of course Uber itself. So it, it seems fair to say that Didi has expanded in many ways, like Uber has, you know, offering varying categories of cars, different services on the platform. One of the services, though, that DD launched that, that was a bit different was one that ended quite tragically. What happened? So DD started off offering a traditional taxis on its app and then added you know, the independent private driver type cars. But then it started thinking about how to offer things that it considered would bring more drivers onto the platform and more customers and also add some fun. So Didi um, started a carpooling service called Didi Hitch. And it's carpooling in the sense that you can just drive on your way to work or on your way back in your daily commute and take somebody who's going in the same direction with you. You don't have to be like using it to earn your, the majority of your income or doing it for hours at a time. So in that sense, the card pooling drivers were not as professionalized as the usual private car drivers. Also, it was special in trying to paint, especially at the beginning of marketing DD Hitch, trying to portray Hitch as literally a way to get hitched as a dating service. And this is really evident in many of the, in some ways, quite sexist adverts that you had for Didi Hitch. One kind of very used one was a young man in the driver's seat um, gazing across to a young a woman who's just got into the car. And it's, it's saying you can meet new people via Didi Hitch. And so that can all be kind of fun and games, except if you think about the division of power in that relationship when you're getting into a, basically a stranger's car, it becomes actually very, very dangerous. And this was actually brought up very recently last year when Didi suffered two major scandals, which were the murder of two female passengers, at least one of whom was raped by her Didi Hitch driver. The 21-year-old flight attendant landed in Hunan's capital, Zhengzhou, earlier this month and used Didi's popular app to take her into the city center. At the time, her father, who saw the body, said that he suspected that the driver had raped her, although that was never confirmed. Her partially clothed body was discovered two days later with a dozen knife wounds. And then a few months later, again in the summer, the same thing happened where a woman was, was raped and then, and then murdered. And what's especially concerning about this case is that just a day before the murder happened, another woman had flagged this particular driver to the company saying that this man had actually followed her after he dropped her off at the place. So these two events in quick succession led to a major 
PR crisis for Didi. There was a swift backlash from customers who on social media would display screenshots of them deleting the Didi app and say we should all delete Didi in a a way that mirrored the Delete Uber campaign um, in the US. And the backlash was really targeted at the idea that Didi could have done something about these murders but chose not to or was too inefficient in doing so. And I think part of that was justified in terms of the customer service log for the second murder was released by Didi and it actually showed that they were really slow and kind of took kind of really puzzling steps in some ways to try to respond to the murdered passenger's friend who raised the alarm with Didi and that wasn't handled very well. But from another point of view, Didi is also arguing that any car hailing service anywhere will have a level of violent crime, a very small level of violent crime, especially if you compare it to other modes of transport. But that people's anger was directed at Didi because it wasn't considering it in comparison to, you know, what is the level of, say, assault you would get if you were just taking the subway or other modes of transport. And I think that argument also makes some sense, but that really, I think, fell on quite deaf ears because there was so much anger towards Didi. So that led to Didi stopping the Hitch program or suspending it indefinitely. And a lot of reflection and thinking over, you know, how did we get here and where did we go wrong with Hitch? You mentioned the public backlash, but how did the Chinese government react? So after the second murder, there were so many different government agencies, you know, central government agencies like the Ministry of Transport or even regional governments like city governments who just piled on and made huge amounts of criticism towards the company. And in China, when the government criticizes a company, it can be really vicious. It's language that you wouldn't expect regulators to use you know, in a Western context. For example, the Ministry of Transport said that Didi had lost control over its drivers and its cars and you know, was disrupting social order and all of these criticisms were launched very publicly against Didi but perhaps more importantly from a practical point of view these different agencies also use the scandal as a way of forcing Didi to comply more with certain exercises that they wanted to demand that Didi was kind of slow to take up on so for example trying to get Didi to share more of its data with the government and kind of saying, if you had shared data in real time with the police, then we would have acted more quickly. Trying to get DD to comply with other regulations that the government has been trying to enforce with varied levels of cooperation. I think overall, the government really turned on DD using these scandals as, as leverage. And the government has many different objectives and can use a scandal like this to gain more leverage. And how has the mood changed today? How do people feel about Didi now? Um, It's a good question. Especially last summer, in the wake of the two um, murders, the brand took a big hit and people were really angry at Didi's failure to protect its customers. I think these kinds of scandals in China can have a very short lifespan. And now I think there are much fewer people, you know, just railing against Didi on on social media, say. The moment has somewhat passed, but we do get reminded of it every time the government brings it up and criticizes the company again. So in that way, the government intervention is in some way spinning out that scandal much longer than it would have lasted otherwise. 
I think as well, even with the anger against DD, many people said, well, if you delete DD, then what will you use instead? And unlike in the US, where you know, if you deleted Uber, you could download Lyft, and many people did download Lyft as a as an alternative. DD really has a monopoly over, especially the low cost ride hailing market in China. There are many other ride hailing apps, but many of them would cost a bit more, and they would give you slightly you know higher quality cars. So they serve a, a slightly different segment to DD's basic line, which is you know the basic kind of low cost simple car hailing. So I think in that way, even though there can be a lot of anger at Didi, people are still very reliant on Didi. So Yuan, I know Didi is a private company, and so there's going to be limited transparency on its financials, on its performance. But I'm curious, what kind of shape is the company in now? So up to the end of 2017, Didi was fundraising at a really rapid rate and had already surpassed Uber as the most valuable startup at that point in the world. It had a valuation of some uh, $56 billion at the end of 2017. Uber at the time only had something like $48 billion. Then it started to kind of go wrong for Didi. Because in 2018, there were the two uh, murders and subsequently a huge government crackdown. Didi was also trying to fight on multiple fronts because at the same time in 2018, it hugely tried to expand into Latin America and take on Uber as well abroad. Didi had a lot of outlays in, in 2018 and partly as a result, the CEO of Didi, who's called Cheng Wei, announced that in the first half of last year, Didi made a net loss of more than $580 million. And it still has to pay out a lot of subsidies to its drivers because, and to its customers because that's the way in which Didi, as well as many other startups, try to gain customers, is trying to get them in at the low market cost. So right now, um, although we don't know details about the company as it's still a private company, it looks like there are going to be a lot more costs associated with its international expansion and also just keeping its market share at home in China, partly because of the scandal and because it's had to close down part of its service, the Hitch service, also because investors will be seeing the writing on the wall for the government and thinking, well, you know, if we're not really sure about the future of DD, if we're not sure about how much the Ministry of Transport is really going to punish the company in future, then do we want to get in on this company? And finally, and most importantly, because other major tech companies in China, like Meituan, who is best known for its takeaway services, are also trying to get into the ride-hailing space in China. What is Didi doing to try to diversify its portfolio of services, to diversify what it offers, and uh, ideally its, uh, its revenue streams? So from the start of January, Didi started to offer financial services on its app as well as car hailing services. And I would say they, they divide into two different categories. One is financial services that kind of make some sense to their main business, i.e. services that are complementary to car hailing for drivers and for customers. So, for example, car insurance for drivers would count as, as that. And then another category would be things that don't seem to have any direct relationship to its main service, such as just personal loans or even a, a crowdfunded medical insurance product where everyone, say, 100 people pitch in to the same pool and if one of them gets ill, then they get a fraction of the whole pool. The second category of things makes me think that Didi is actually interested in diversifying into finance um, rather than simply trying to provide services that complement its ride-hailing platform. 
And what does this move signify? I mean, this isn't the first Chinese tech company to pivot to financial services. I think for, for Chinese tech companies that are in dire straits, diversifying into finance can actually be a sign that they are really running out of options for making money. Many of the bike sharing companies like Ofo, which is in quite a lot of trouble right now, had considered diversifying into, say, peer-to-peer lending or other parts of finance because those are very hot and are seen as ways that you can make a bunch of money if you have capital. I think DD might be a bit different to those bike sharing companies and that DD has a lot of information on its customers. Um, it knows roughly where its customers live and work and where they socialize. And so it actually can make some pretty informed guesses as to the incomes and kind of spending habits of its customers. And so DD argues that that data would make it more natural for it to progress into finance because then it can use that data in its risk assessment for each customer. I think we really have to see whether it's profitable for DD to do this. And it does look like from the outside that it's going into finance because its major industry car hailing is in trouble. Now, there's a lot of concern about a slowdown in China's economy. How would that affect DD's business? That's a good question. So, so in terms of the fundraising side of DD, I think the slowdown in the overall economy has come at the same time as what people in China are calling a capital winter, i.e. A, a huge dearth of funding for tech companies. And that matters a lot for a company like Didi, which is at many points has been operating at a loss. So it needs a constant stream of, of fundraising. And then in terms of the other side, you know, get raising money from, from customers, I think Didi's hope is that once customers are educated in how to use the app and start to perform a habit of using the app, then it becomes pretty sticky because you know people tend to get used to a certain way of commuting every day and just repeat it, and then are very annoyed when they have to change it. And this is you know this is the hope of both Didi and Uber that even if prices were to rise or if, or if people's um, felt their budgets were being pinched, then they would still continue with this kind of relatively sticky habit of daily transport rather than casting around for other options. So I think the slowdown could well affect how many people upgrade to higher quality services within DD. So there are many different kind of kinds of car that you can get in DD from, uh, you know, all the way up to like the most luxurious limousine type cars. And DD has been trying very much to focus on shifting people up the ladder. So that's been DD's, I think, a long-term strategy for DD, and that may well be difficult at a time when people might feel their their budgets are being pinched. And what would you say if you had to put yourself in the shoes of of some of DD's biggest investors? What's the number one question they're going to be asking right now? I think it's can DD continue to expand without the high level of subsidy that it pays. And I would say that's the same question that investors should have about Uber as well. Is the ride-hailing industry sustainable and profit-making without this high subsidy, you know, high customer acquisition cost expansion period that we're in right now? The traditional narrative about Chinese tech is China has these big tech giants like Tencent and Alibaba, but it's managed to get there by protectionism, by insulating its market against, say, uh, Google or Facebook coming in from abroad. And that's there's an element of truth in that, yes, 
you know, it's clear that there there are huge amounts of internet controls and censorship in China, and that does block foreign companies like Facebook and Google from competing. And maybe you know, Facebook and Google would be able to take a lot of market share away from the domestic tech giants if they did come in. But in the ride-hailing market, Didi is a counterexample to that narrative because Uber did come in and competed with Didi. Both companies shelled out a huge amount of money and in, you know, Didi and Uber are still paying for the bill in their really cutthroat competition in China. But Didi won in the end and actually bought Uber. And I think that was probably the closest we can get to a clear playing field between Chinese and Western tech. And you know that's not to say that you know all Chinese tech entrepreneurs are as going to be as savvy and as sophisticated as Didi, but it also is, I think, a counter narrative to the idea that Chinese tech has to fail in competition against foreign tech. You can read much more from Yuan on Didi and Chinese tech at FT.com. And let me know what you thought of today's show, or if you have any ideas for future episodes. I'm on Twitter at Amy P. Keen. That's A-I-M-E-E-P-K-E-A-N-E. Or you can email me at BehindTheMoney at FT.com. Thanks to Eric Krupke for his help producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Brien, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.